Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. And, of course, we are here with... Casey Clapp. Hi, Casey. Alex, hello. Casey, moments before we hit record, I said out loud, I want a sandwich. And I replied, it's too damn late for that. Right. In a sarcastic manner, because, of course, if I wanted a sandwich, I could go get a sandwich. Yes, I'm not, I can't technically control you in that regard. And this is not a, uh, this is not a space that is, is, you know, uh, a jail. Well, yeah, I wasn't saying I want a sandwich and the subtext was I'm forbidden to have one or there's uh, no way I could possibly have one. Yes. Okay. Which I, you know, I, I that's how I took it. I know. Like, I, I like don't that. know why. I was just providing information about my wants and needs. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I respond uh, by crushing those, those wants and needs. Nobody's stopping you, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Casey, what's your favorite? What's your go-to sandwich? Do you have a favorite sandwich? Well, historically it was a BLT from Quiznos sub sandwich shop. Wow. Quiznos. Yeah. Yeah, but they the thing is they they like shredded their 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 bacon so it wasn't just like big strips. Oh. So you would you'd go and it would be like kind of uh it would it would be shredded so you would have like a lot. Like like pulled pork but bacon. Kind of, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a very similar idea. Interesting. It was so good. Like and it was the first time like I historically didn't really like sandwiches. They just weren't my thing. And then I got a Quiznos and they toasted it. <laughs> and I was like, this is so much better. Yeah. Like seriously, toasting sandwiches, uh, that changed my entire perspective on sandwiches. And like, then uh and then a few weeks later, every subway in the nation had a toaster oven. Yes. And and Quiznos <laughs> was erased from history. Yeah, poor Quiznos. Yeah. I, I like a BLT too, Casey. I'm actually pretty excited for I'm always excited for tomato season. Yes. Ugh, always. Um, because I have the very elitist view that a BLT is a tomato sandwich. Wow. Wait, hold on. Is that like is this like kind of that debate with a uh, um uh Christmas movies? Oh, if Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun. This it's is all fun. perspective, Casey. It is, it is. Uh, this is bread garnished with tomatoes and bacon, <laughs> lettuce and basil mayonnaise. Casey, as we do every week, we're here to talk about a tree. Yes, uh, that we are. The tree we're talking about this week is a much beloved tree. It's been uh, requested a million times. We, It's been on our radar since day one, I'll say. Yeah. Uh, we have even had its cone in the Cone of the Month Club. We can. One of the biggest buyers. Yeah, a very popular cone. Yeah, people are very happy that we reintroduced it. And the tree, of course, is Eastern White Pine, a.k.a. Mm. Pinus Strobus. Nice job, Alex. How about that? That's uh, an easy one. Well, Casey, today's our 
first episode of a little mini series we're doing. That's right. It's, it's kind of a, a uh, yeah. Uh, I won't I won't draw the curtain back too much, but we're doing a few episodes. <laughs> On <laughs> logging. That's exactly right. Kind of, kind of discussing it a little bit. Yeah. You know, what's, what, what is it? What's going on with logging these days? As what's, we are wont to do. Exactly. What's going on with logging back then? We have other related topics that we talk about on this podcast. However, sometimes it's just nice to be like, you know what? Let's just talk about a very related topic. Yeah. Let, let's, not, let's not go too far. The cone doesn't fall too far from the tree. Right. Well, we've got plenty to talk about in terms of... This eastern pine of the white variety and, of course, logging. But also, as is our want, we must do so after a break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary, Eastern White Pine Style. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking Pinus strobus, the eastern white pine. The gum-yielding pine, as I like to call it. Well, Casey, let's imagine that you and I, we are walking through a forest, I'm assuming in the east. Uh, let's say, can we say the... Um, the Appalachians. Yes, it does grow in the Appalachians. We're walking through the Appalachians. Apple, Apple, Appalachian Mountains. Appalachian Mountains. And we come across some eastern white pine. Casey, let's ID this tree. Uh, right, Alex. We're walking through the eastern forest. Uh, what a beautiful eastern forest it is, mm. isn't it? Now, this tree that we are talking about, eastern white pine, pine strobus, it grows just in in almost every kind of larger northern space from the higher elevations um of mountains all the way down to georgia historically and all the way up through the, the mountains of the east and the appalachians then starts to really expand out once you get up into massachusetts and uh, Maine, kind of the whole New England area, New York State, and then it goes over through to the Midwest states in, and in Canada. Hmm. So some of the the biggest populations of these trees were actually in uh, the upper Midwest, Wisconsin and Michigan. Wow! And that's where a lot of our story today actually is going to kind of kind of take place. Exciting, but the, it is essentially a northeastern and a north central. 
pine tree. Okay. Like a, the classic of all pine trees that grow over in the east, in the northeast. It's the it's the classic um, equivalent of, say, the longleaf or the uh, loblolly pine in the south, where it's like kind of ubiquitous. It's everywhere and everyone knows about it. But then up north, those trees don't grow. It's only the eastern white pine. Like most Midwesterners, it moved out the first chance it had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Went to the big city. It's like, I got to get out of here, man. I'm done with this. There's too much corn around here. Um, sort of, Alex, but actually sort of not. Wow. Well, Casey, let's, let's, start, uh, let's start kind of at the, at the macro. What does this tree yeah. look like if you just see it? From a distance. Great question, Alex. It is a big tree. Okay. Uh, they can grow over 200 feet tall, historically. Wow. The the tallest that I have found uh, is about 183 feet tall, but I think that's the living one. Uh, from what I see, it's the Longfellow pine, and it's the one that's currently alive. It's in the Northeast. Now, the thing is, this tree used to grow way taller, and it grows slow, but it also grows big. It didn't really have much of a chance out west here. Uh Our tallest trees are, you know, sometimes twice as tall. They're also very, very uh, large trees in diameter. So the Mm. diameter of the stem itself, um, easily that can get up to four, five, six feet in diameter. Damn. They're big trees, and especially for any species of pine out east, they're the biggest species of pine out east. Okay. Easily. Landmark pine species. Yeah, and they're also, the uh, I believe, the tallest growing pine or the tallest growing tree in the east. So they are the highest, the biggest. They are the the most massive. Kind of the ponderosa pine of the east, Casey? Yes, I would say so. That's very, very apt description. In fact, I think it might be more accurate to say it's more of the western white pine of the east. The western white pine. Okay. Casey's being cheeky. (laughs) It's because there's two of them. Alex, sorry. That I'm so happy to make that joke. I'm so proud of myself right now. <laughs> oh, okay. So good. I'm delighted, Casey. Thank M- you. More than I understood or thought that was funny, I just like seeing you giggle. Just be so tickled with yeah. my own humor. <laughs> the eastern white pine is like the western white pine of the east. It's very Alex of you to be <laughs> to yeah. crack yourself up while the Thank other person's you. confused. Oh, all right. Anyway, yes, there is. there's literally two extremely closely related trees, the eastern and western. Western white pine. I had to know this to understand. Uh, yeah, exactly. There's also a southwestern white pine. There's um, there's a lot of different white pines that are out there. This is, uh, again, it's the eastern variety, but of course, this was the first one that everyone really kind of saw and found if you yeah. were a white colonist coming over. So it is... First and foremost, a big forest tree, and it likes to grow in kind of the less intense, uh, the the less good places, like soil that is um, a little bit drier, hmm. sandier, that kind of thing. They, Interesting. They kind of take a little bit rougher condition. And they thrive in it. They do, and, and they thrive there because other trees can't grow quite, quite as well. Oh, okay. So, for instance, uh, this whole area is famous for broadleaf trees. Yeah, yeah the temperate deciduous forests, right? Um, they would be punctuated by these big forests um, further south of eastern white pine. Okay. But then as you go further north, these pine trees would kind of take over the forest uh, and they would be the dominant forest tree almost everywhere. It's kind of, you just keep going north. I should say one other thing about the the form of this tree, which mm. is very helpful in identifying it, is the branches tend to grow outwards in like almost plain, plain-like ways. So they just grow out 
and then the next one grows out and they don't really create one big giant canopy. They just kind of create this layered look where you see a branch coming out, then a branch coming out, then a branch coming out. And it looks like they're almost just like layered on top of each other. Yeah. This does also remind me of the Ponderosa pine case. It does, but the Ponderosa pine will create one big canopy, like all the needles kind of run together. Oh, this is more like uh, segmented. Yes. Like, here's a branch. Go up a few feet. Here's a branch. Yeah, exactly. And then as they grow, the canopy doesn't like all coalesce. I you can you. still see those like kind of separate branches, you know, even though they're, you know, 10, 20 feet long. Yeah. They're still just kind of look like uh, a bunch of arms coming out. I gotcha. Yeah. Now the bark, it's a very quintessential pine bark and it's utility bark, but it's also kind of very beautiful utility bark where the, the, patches and the plates that kind of develop with small shallow ridges in between they don't get super deep they don't get super furrowed but they get just enough to make you be like okay that's a tough looking tree that yeah tree's, that tree's not going to take anything from me it's got that gray brown sort of yes, color it's it, not quite gray it's not quite brown it's not like a, a the brilliant colors of the other pines like in the south or the ponderosa pine mm-hmm. jeffrey pine it doesn't have that pizzazz it's very much a northern gray colored I agree with you, though, that utility conifer, or maybe I should narrow it down to utility pine bark, is still pretty cool it is it really is beautiful like i have no problem with the with with the shape of it and like it's 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 boring but like interesting at the same time Mm. like i'm trying to think of a really good example of something that is like that and i don't know maybe this whole podcast is like that (laughs) boring but interesting at the same time (laughs) oh my god there's the poll quote casey okay nice yeah yeah how do you feel about this show interesting (laughs) boring both at the same time none of the above none of the above (laughs) always choose none of the above yeah yeah so that's it you know but it's it's uh it usually gets a little bit of lichen growing on it so it has like these kind of patches of white and then um, when they're young, they actually remain very smooth. And then hmm. as they l- get larger uh, and get a little bit more furrowed, then they start developing those those more plate-like patterns. That's somewhat typical. It is, yeah. It's very much so for the, especially conifers. It's as they put on the layers, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of starts to build up a little bit. I yeah, always think precisely. of it as like coats of paint. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Coats of paint. But it's, I always imagine it like the newest coat of paint that was on the inside. So the oldest coat of paint is the one that you see on the outside. What? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the cambium that puts the I bark underst- on, right? Oh, yeah. I understand, Casey. So it's painting it on the inside. It's painting from the inside. Yeah. Oh, my God. The paint is coming from inside the tree. I love that metaphor. That's so good, Alex. Painting from the inside. I gotta it, do that. That's, that can be a name of a book. It's it's positively counterintuitive yeah, to the yeah, point yeah. of being very confusing. <laughs> but that'll make you buy the book, right? But once you describe what the metaphor actually means, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. Painting from the inside. Yeah. Now, the le- needles of a eastern white pine are fun. I Wow. I think they're fun because, A, they're in bundles of five. Five needle pines. Five needle pine. You got to love them. Way to tell. It, big five needle pines. Uh, these needles, though, are only maybe three or four inches long. Like, they're not very big, not long needles. Okay. They are uh, very tight oh. and very adorable and very soft. Like, they're not really tough in terms of, like, violence. You can you can hang out with them, and they're going to be, like, easily chillable kind of pals to, to, you know, hang around with. Okay. Is it in, in, in terms of, you know, we've talked before about shaking hands with a tree yeah, yeah. and this whole thing of like, t- it's a, it's a way to identify a Precisely. conifer yes. or a, a needle having tree. And I would say identify yourself to the tree as well. 
That's that's a really good point, Casey. Thank you. So it's like spruce s spiky. Yes, spruces will cut you. Yeah, exactly. They'll, uh, they'll like, don't touch me. Uh, fur f friendly. Yeah. What is the pine one? Uh, Pokey-ish? I don't know that there is, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But honestly, I think it could be anything, but it depends on the pine. Some pines are more pokier than others. Okay. But these are medium-length five-needle pine needles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you poke them at the end, they're going to have a little bit of sharpness, but they're not so stiff as as a spruce, where stiff spruce is just going to spike you no matter what. Yeah. Whereas these, if they does oh, man. spike you, then they'll just kind of bend. You know, they're like, they're not in it to, to, to win. They're fine. Okay. Yeah. They're not in it to win. It. Yeah. They're just, they're just good. They're, they're flexible. They get covered in snow all the time anyway. So yeah. they're, they're kind of like, eh, whatever. I don't care. Well, the thing about the needles that um, separates them is that they have, well, separates them, I should say, specifically from the Western white pine. Oh, for all intents and purposes, they look almost exactly the same. Wow. I think our Western white pine gets even about the same height, same okay. kind of bark, same everything. Well, this tells me something. Except mm. the Eastern white pine has two bands of stomato lines underneath the the needle. Wow. Whereas the Western white pine has four. Four? Four. You know, like... Uh, You'll go to like, um, what's that big market in Seattle? Uh, Pike Place. And they'll have, man, it's trinkets. You know, I'm thinking of specifically of the 90s. Like okay, yeah. beanbag lizards were really popular. Oh, do you remember sure, these? Yeah, I do remember those. <laughs> yeah, those are great. Like sequence and stuff. Yeah. I love those guys. But another big thing was like sentences written on a grain of rice. Oh, yeah. And I remember that. When you say four stomato lines on one needle, Casey, I'm <laughs> like, like how fucking narrow do those lines have to be? Dude, they are they are narrow. Okay. The, the only way I've been able to see them and tell them apart is with a hand lens. Sure. When I was trying to identify, is this a western or eastern white pine? I love the idea of somebody bringing some needles into you and you have a jeweler's kit. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, looks uh, like this, this one's a... Uh, yeah. I was told it was a five needle. No, man, this is a three needle. Yeah, this is a three needle for sure. Best I can do is 13K. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Well, so that's the, the big characteristic. If you want to tell the difference between the two. Uh, let's get into this cone. The crown jewel of any, any conifer, I'll say. Mm. The cone. Alex, the cone of the eastern white pine. <sighs> Here we go. It, it's only like eight inches long. It's not a very big cone. The Western white pine cone is like a foot and a half. Like they're, they can get big. Maybe oh, not a foot and a half, maybe wow. like 14 inches, you know? Okay. The like good size, second only in length to, I think the Coulter pine and the sugar pine. Yeah. Whereas the Eastern white pine, eh, whatever, it's a standard cone. See, you're a size matters kind of arborist, Well, Casey. I mean, cool things are cool if they're cool, and the western white pine's way cooler than the eastern white pine. I mean... <laughs> you know, I a lot make, of people think velociraptors are cooler than T-Rex. Well, sure, but that's okay. I mean, I mean, they have their own thing. They're like, I think the western... Uh, or the, I, s- I the, see. Uh, white bark pine uh-huh. is spectacular. Its cones are tiny. You're saying because they are so similar, but one is just larger, that's the cooler cone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, the eastern so. white pine, six to eight? Uh, yeah, six to eight. It's not very big. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's fine, though. I don't want to disparage it too much. This isn't our review section. It's a lovely, lovely little cone. Beautiful. I would. I love. I want to give this, I haven't given one of these in a while, Croson's Stump of Approval to the eastern white pine cone, and it might as well wow. the western white pine cone. Okay. But 
boy, the shape of this cone. That is very, it, yeah. So fucking gorgeous. It's just like, it's a it's a very standard, like, like hey, draw a cone, would you? That's it. See, I disagree, Casey. Whoa, really? When I, when I think draw a cone, that's it. Okay. I'm thinking Ponderosa. Oh, uh, I'm see. thinking Jeffrey. Like yeah. the kind, the more like rounded yeah. pine cones. I wonder if this is a Western versus Eastern thing because I've seen the same exact kind of imagery you're talking about, uh-huh. but over in the East, the definition of a pine cone is an Eastern white pine cone. Okay. So that, do, at least that's in my experience. Do they cover them in cinnamon and put them in bags around Christmas time <laughs> to hang in your home? <laughs> that's a very good question. I don't know that they do or not. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, this thing to me looks more, if anything, looks more hemlock like like or yeah. kind of a weird like elongated hemlock cone that's very fair because it does have like um its cone scales are kind of rounded they kind of hang down they don't open up so you know flatly yeah yeah i think that's uh that's that's not an inaccurate kind of visual description okay and also they're they're all in the same family so they are very closely related in a broad sense so the fact that you're seeing those patterns makes total sense okay yeah, yeah i just think it's one of the most beautiful cones it is you know what it's not a bad looking cone i'm, I'm i'll give you credit for that all right and they kind of hang down they're usually kind of at the tips of the branches they also tend to have um a little bit of sap on them a little bit of resin mm. right at the tip they tend to stay very closed when they're getting mature and they're very skinny like they they almost look um i don't know i i imagine them like pencils they're obviously way thicker than a pencil mm-hmm. but they're just like very tightly closed and very skinny like bananas almost yeah. and then when they open up they almost like triple their width because they just kind of pop out yeah and i always think that looks really cool hell yeah the sugar pine does the same thing where you can find a closed sugar pine again another white pine they're all very closely related the sugar pine it kind of goes very tight in, and it doesn't look like anything special yeah and then when it dries out you're like whoa oh my god that cone's like twice as big as what i thought it was yeah there's like a volume transformation yeah when exactly they open. yeah yeah they're, I don't know, quintessential is the only term. Like To me, this, this is a tree that is representative of pine. Yeah, I think, I, I think so far I agree, Casey. Yeah, okay. We are here today to talk about wet, hot American lumber. Yeah, we are. A title I have had in my mind for <laughs> a couple months. Did we design this whole thing <laughs> all around a name? Maybe. It's like when you write a song based on one really good lyric. <laughs> yeah. It takes a crane to build a crane. That's <laughs> essentially what we're doing. Yeah, who are my Jason Mraz fans out there? That's Jason Mraz. That's, that's Mr. AZ himself. Wow. Oh, Jason. Anyway, sorry. 2006. Is that, yeah, probably. Along with Jack Johnson. Hey, there was a moment for these like uh, these these sweet singer songwriter men. These beach dwelling, uh, yeah, yeah, banana pancake eating motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Alex, you're right. Uh, we are talking about wet hot American lumber, yeah, boy. baby, and uh, mainly uh, a lot of people talk to us about logging, kind of in a broad sense. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about it, but I also want to talk about it in a, in a I don't know, a different way, I suppose. Sure. Like, I could sit here and, and we could go through all the, the things that are logging. Eh, it's not that interesting. It's like, oh, well, here's a skid trail. Here's what a logger does. Here's what, you know, timber cruising is. Snooze. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you want to get that. There's plenty of resources. 
I'll give you the quick, uh, the quick like 30 second description. Logging, modern day, you, you go into a forest, someone marks where the edge of the cut is gonna be, they come in with their chainsaws, sawyers cut all of the trees, then another group of people come in and they put a choker around the log, connect it to a big machine, and that big machine takes it up to the top of a thing called a landing, and then they take another machine and they cut off all of the limbs they cut the logs into certain lengths and put them on trucks and those trucks drive out the forest go to a mill there's logging easy yeah now where it becomes more interesting is talking about the damage that logging can cause Mm. uh the way we do it and also the the effects on an ecosystem of like completely taking away the most dominant part of that ecosystem yeah which is the tree yeah it's pretty intense. It's an intense change. Yeah. So, yeah, we could talk about that. But instead, I want to talk about a little bit about the history uh, of where where this kind of came from. And then we can kind of talk uh, a little bit more about the intricacies of, of what logging is today. I don't think this will come as a surprise. I think... I think the most interesting part of most things is the history behind it. <laughs> yeah, right. I, um, I agree. Logging included. I have seen I've seen photos, Casey. Yeah. Of these like what seem to be like thirty foot cross sections. Yeah. Huge. Um, with a whole team of of lumberjacks, I'll call them. Yeah. Uh, Which I do like. I think that's a fun term. <laughs> kind of standing on on this stump. Yeah. Hanging out as if it were like. I mean, it's like the size of like an apartment, you know. It's huge, yeah. Um, it's probably bigger than most of the tenements that they lived in yeah. in their cities, wherever they were from. Yeah. Um, you could build a whole building on the stump. Uh, and they're Famous. all standing around very proudly with their hands on their hips. And yeah. they're, you know, 90-foot two-way saw. and It's it's a... I mean, at the time, it was like the, the the most intense thing you could do to go out and be a logger, you know? Like, it, it had this... Uh, I don't know, this kind of Americana uh, Paul Bunyan-ness to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, which is, you know, fine, but like Paul Bunyan, um, like historically came from not the Pacific Northwest, but the Midwest, where these pines were growing in the upper Midwest in Wisconsin and Michigan. I kind of put it in the same category as like uh, Johnny Appleseed, who was a real person. Exactly, who was an actual guy, old John Chapman. Yeah. yeah this is this is a different person, okay. and, but I don't believe that he actually existent and if he did you know all the things that they talked about are completely silly like oh you could chop down a whole tree with one you know axe swing you know mm-hmm. it's this whole like um mythic uh kind of persona of the logger you right know? right and of course they were really tough people because way back when in the time we're talking about which is you know essentially the early uh 1800s and the late 1700s in fact the entire 1700s if depending on where you're at the idea of logging wasn't quite the same as what it is today. Hmm. It was, we have to cut down this tree, but in order to cut down this tree, we're either taking this axe and we're chopping at it for a year. Oh, like however long. Yeah. A really long time. And that's a lot of, it's a lot of energy to do. Yeah. Or they would take what you just said, a big cross cut saw is what it's called. And you have two people on either side of this big, long, serrated blade. And they would, one would push and the other would pull and then they would switch and pull push. And they would just do that backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. My friend Joey uh, has a bunch of these saws and he would use these um, in like logging, uh, 
blogging events that still go on today. Mm. So it's still like a trade where people explicitly go out and use these saws as a uh, kind of an old-fashioned kind of logging show kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see who, see who can, you know, do this completely useless, old-timey thing the fastest. <laughs> it's just fun, you know? It's just good old-fashioned fun. Sure, yeah. It's like it's like those... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the, of the one of like the Norse competitions where those guys like yeah. throw a log or maybe that's scottish or... yeah the scottish highland games <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 where it's like oh well we don't we don't need to throw this rock as far as we can <laughs> but we want to see who can throw it the furthest yeah that's wild okay so they yeah. would literally just there's no there's no magic sauce here nope it's just pushing and pulling a saw a hundred thousand times yep. and then running the fuck away in the correct direction. Yes. Um, so what happened initially is way back when uh, Europeans cut down all of their trees, they came over to uh, colonize North America and they were like, there are trees everywhere and they're all huge. And specifically the white pine was known as this mast tree. Where similar to the Douglas fir, when they finally got over to the West Coast, there were these gigantic, perfectly tall trees that would be exactly perfect to be the big main mast on a wind-propelled ship. With, like, no processing. You just got to, like, yeah, cut a chunk out of it. Exactly. Take the bark off and then just attach it. There's this fun thing called the broad, the, the King's Broad Arrow. Have you ever heard about this? Oh, yeah. We talked about this. I we forget did, what it yeah. is, though. So, essentially, the, the king... Um, during the early, just, well, yeah, this is a decent ways before the American Revolution, um, the king of England basically said, oh, also, like, to be very clear, you guys, this is the king's property? Like, you, you live at the king's behest mm. here in this new world. And the king requires all of these really big, tall, high-quality white pines because the king needs the king's ships to be the best they possibly can. Remember at this time, in a couple decades or a century or so, the sun never set on the English Empire uh, because it was uh. everywhere in the entire world. So at one point, some part that they owned was, you know, in sunlight. It's five o'clock somewhere. Exactly. That that it is really just British colonialization <laughs> at, at its finest. <laughs> but they um so the thing that made them so dominant in this entire era and this entire world is their their navy. So the British hmm. were like we got this land access in order for us to maintain our dominance. We need all of these white pines that we can. So they went to uh, the colonists and they put this, the King's broad arrow, which is literally uh, a, a person from the crown would come over and put this giant stamp on a tree, hmm. which at the time, I think they, they would kind of like pull off some of the bark and then like stamp it into the wood. So it's just kind of like this impression kind of put in there. Okay. And uh, that would say, this is the King's tree. If you cut this tree down, then you have stolen from the king. It's like Robin Hood shooting a deer in Sherwood Forest. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's poaching because you're taking it away from the king and that's the king's. Right. So they got in, they would get in a bunch of huge trouble. The colonists were like, this is blatant stealing from our stuff. Uh, no, you can't do it. You know what? You, you know what? We're, we're not going to give you anything anymore. Uh, and then that, um, you know what? No became the American Revolution. Right. But that was like, kind of denotes how valuable the Eastern white pine was mm. even way back then. Um, and then as you started to go up into Maine and kind of Canada, the Eastern white pine became way more of a dominant tree and they would just keep cutting it and cutting it and cutting it and cutting it. As this time uh, kind of went on, they had to shift over and find other trees. So they would go into these forests. They would have these men 
cut down these trees and like use oxen to pull them out or put them on log flumes that went all the way down, which are just these built wooden areas where they would take a stream from somewhere mm-hmm. and they would like pipe it, like using this like essentially wooden... Uh, like an aqueduct yeah exactly yeah right they would take that move the stream over the log would be set on this flume and then it would go straight down just like the logging thing at uh uh did we talk about this the disneyland thing well the yeah log flume is a genre of theme park ride yes yeah yeah this is this is it yeah this is where it came from okay because we didn't have um that's so old-timey americana it is right yeah and that, this is flume. this is like where it all came from, and I, it's such a fascinating um, thing to think about. Is they would use like teams of oxen to pull gigantic sections of log, which I should note, they would use this cross cutting technique to cut the tree, uh, and it would fall over. Mm-hmm. Then they would have someone called a bucker get onto the log and walk all the way down it and cut off all of the uh, branches using a. Um, using an axe. Holy shit. So those people, the buckers, would buck up the logs and they would be on top of the log because again, this is like five or six feet in diameter. Yeah. And they would walk on the top and they would have to cut all these big branches off. So again, more time and effort. Like one tree took teams of men days to take down. Wow. Teams of men days to take down. Okay. They would do this and constantly die because the log, once you cut a certain branch, if anyone ever has fallen a tree and you cut certain branches of it, the weight then could be shifted to one side as the branches on another side are cut off. But also, if the branch, if the whole tree is leaning on a branch and it's kind of pushing on it, so there's a bunch of pressure pushing on a branch with the weight of the tree on top of it, Uh if you cut that branch, then it doesn't hold up the tree anymore and the tree shifts and can move entirely and crush you. It's it's a horrifying thing, but if any if anyone who does oh, wow. um, storm cleanup will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so Casey, you got your buckers. They're up there. They're hacking off the limbs off this this monstrosity. Yes, thank you, Alex. We're getting way off topic there. <laughs> so the buckers, the pull ring. <laughs> the buckers start to they cut off all the top or all the side limbs. They cut off the top, and then they have other people come back with their crosscut saws and then chop the the length of the tree into smaller sections that then can be a little bit more manageable. Okay. And they would then put that onto a team of oxen or uh, donkeys or whatever the biggest, toughest animal was that they had. And they would pull it over to the way that they would get it to the next phase, which most of the time was a river. They would take it and either dump it in a river because there's one next to it, or they would put it in a flume and it would go whoosh all the way down to a river, Boy. jump in the river, and then they would have these big log rafts where they would just like let it float down, and then by the time there's a mill, the mill would snag all that stuff. And I don't know exactly how they figured this out. Like I think there were certain people who would float it down to certain mills, and then other mills would like try to snag one here a little bit and like steal one over there. Like they're really amplifying the danger as they go. Oh Casey. yeah! Oh my God! It gets even worse because oh, no. Uh, in a lot of these river systems, logs would get bunched up, and they'd call them. It would be a log jam. Right. Oh no! This is my least favorite part. Oh dude! In order to get that log jam unjammed, yeah, they would have to send someone out 
out to figure out what logs or log was causing the jam and loosen it. Yeah. But keep in mind, it's a dam holding back water to some extent, or at least there's a lot of water pushing on it with the weight of all the logs behind it too. So if you go out there, I'm sorry I'm laughing because it's, it's so just so absurdly dangerous. Yeah. 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 Run out onto this like actively um, accumulating and disintegrating lump of logs with the pressure of a giant river behind it yeah. and bust it up. Then everything starts moving again in a rush, and then poof, you're gone. It, that's that's a suicide mission, right? <laughs> it is, yeah, like for sure. And people used to like put dynamite in there, and then like light it, and then run off of them, oh. try to get away before the dynamite blows it up, and like lets everything continue to go through. My God, the problem with dynamite though is, as you could expect, it kind of ruins the logs that you blow up. Right. So everyone's like, "Ooh, no, 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 we don't want that. Uh, we got to sell these logs." So they they wouldn't. A lot of times they say, "No, just just move them around until they pop open." It's and this it's human sacrifice. It's, it feels like it, right? It's crazy dangerous work. So yeah, I guess that's uh, again uh, what was the what was the culture that was getting these people to do it? Wow, no idea. The same culture that made children go to work in steel mills. I suppose so. It was economics. It was the barons of the day. In this case, uh, it's the timber baron. Uh, is the the term you've heard of robber baron before yeah 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 it's what, same, what is it what is the robber in in, ooh, in robber baron the way that i've i guess i don't know the exact definition but a robber baron is essentially someone who um uses their money takes advantage of government regulations and owns everything so like right. railroads and steel and your uh, vanderbilts your uh, rockefellers exactly okay. yeah yeah yeah. Your it's carnegies these precisely and in this case it's the warehousers the warehousers. That is a person who started logging in the late 1800s in uh, the Midwest, in Wisconsin and Michigan, and was logging white pines with his old homie, uh, one Frederick Denkman. Dankman. Dankman. Dankman is such a good, like, annoying sidekick name. Oh, yeah, right? Dankman! <laughs> so he, um, these two guys, they started cutting down trees at... at a rate that at the time was out of this world. Today, we could probably do the same thing in a matter of years. Yeah. But they, they specifically moved from the east over to the west. And at this time, the far west was Wisconsin. So they would be moving over and they found this like completely untouched and uncut giant space of forest. They started to cut it. Like heaps and heaps and heaps and they would do all these land claims and they had all these tricks to basically get the land for free cut all the wood off of it and then sell the land and make money coming and going jeez man it was no replanting going on casey no not at all just a scourge yeah just just go take and then leave so they did this and they were like the the powers that be were like well who cares do you have any idea how many trees are out there it's so much space. These are, we could not in a hundred years use all the trees that are growing in this area. Let me guess. We did it before 1900. <laughs> all of them. Like, I, I mean, it's hard to say um, every single last tree, uh-huh. but it's also easy enough and has been so many that you can say, every single last tree and if i'm wrong if if that like 0.01% trees where you can say not this one you're right i'm going to say 99% of the trees and now warehouser the company is actually one of the largest 
pro- forest product companies in the world. They're still going, huh? Oh, they're still going, Alex. Not only are they still going, their net income last year was $1.88 billion. Jeez. Yeah. That was their net? That was their net. Jesus. They own 12,400,000 acres across the United States of timberland and another 14 million in Canada. You know, the the OG warehousers. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty brutal... I would say like immoral way to operate. In the grand scheme, it went from we need to do this to survive and plant our food and to build things to, oh, now we've used everything we have. Now we're trying to buy the supplies. And also someone starts running it like a business. And as we've said on the show a thousand times, add capitalism into everything. It becomes way worse. Yeah. So this in warehouse and all these other companies started cutting logs. They would own the property. They would hire the people to do the transportation and they would own the mills. So they would make money on just going and coming because they would get it all for free and then they would sell the stuff as quickly as they could. Wow. So they could make all the money in the world. They started using all these logs and started moving further west. So Weyerhaeuser went to Tacoma in just before 1900 and then started doing all the land stuff um, out of Tacoma, Washington. They would, at the beginning, do this kind of scorched earth thing because that's just how things were done. No one cared. No one regulated. It was a, a resource, a commodity. Just go forth and take. Yeah. Now they've gone forth and they've taken everything. Yeah. So they had to learn how to change their practices. They had to start regrowing things. None of this stuff has ever been replanted in a specific way. It's either just grown back as a different kind of forest or turned into farmland, one of the two. But years and years of this happening, they started to really say, well, what if we replant this area? And then they started to do something that is called rotation. Hmm. This is a big thing in forestry now. So um, either by regulation or by kind of smart economics, you either got rid of the land, which is what they often did, take the resource and then dump the land. You make money on the land, you make money on the resource, but now that land is kind of uh, stripped from its value except for changing it. You're not going to make any money growing any trees. So they started to say, well, what if we what if we do things on big rotations where we cut down all the trees, then we replant them, and we basically say in 50 years and 80 years, we're going to come back and we're going to cut all these trees, and then we'll make money in 80 years as well. Now, if we do this for a bunch of different properties that we have, we cut one this year and we replant next year, but then we go to a different one next year and we cut that one and then we replant it. And you do that same thing over and over. This is like if you're uh, cooking a shit ton of pancakes, Casey, on a big flat top. Okay. You know, you pour the batter starting lower left and you go oh, up. And then yeah. by the time you've poured that last batter on the upper right, lower left is ready to flip. And then by the time you're flipping that upper right last pancake, lower left is fully cooked and wow. you take them and you do it again. It's exactly the thing. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is just pancakes. This is how it is. I never considered it like that. It's just pancakes. It's just pancakes. Like okay. everything else. Oh it's just pancakes. Yes. It's just pancakes, Alex. This is what they did. They just, they just grew pancakes and then cut them down. Yeah. So that's the, that is like the, the, the way that it kind of, um, is in existence today, but that's just kind of one idea. There are several different means of, of logging now. Previously, we would just log everything because everything was just there in front of us to be logged. But 
when we started hiring people to specifically go out and use their chainsaws and then we needed to put certain roads in to get our trucks and all of our other vehicles out there, all of a sudden clear cutting was more just very convenient where you'd say, have one person go in, cut all the trees down, then the next person comes in and they load them all up onto this thing and then or onto this place and then someone else uh, does the processing of the logs and then puts it onto trucks. It's like... Um what is that called? Like Henry Ford. Um, uh, yes, it's an assembly line. It's assembly line. Yes, yeah. yes. The, the the problem here is we kind of alluded to the very beginning is ecologically speaking, clear cuts are one of the worst things you can do to a forest. Yeah. Now, I, there's a lot of people who would potentially call us out and be like, well, it's not the worst thing. What about fire? It's it's the worst thing you can do for a forest. Wow. Like, objectively. Hard stance. I'm taking a hard stance here and we can argue the, the kind of... Um, intricacies of all the ideas of um the economics and well it kind of is a an early succession disturbance that comes through great like they say oh it's just mimicking fire it's not mimicking fire when logs uh logging operations come in they are driving over and having effects on the soil they're crushing all of the spaces or all the things that are underneath especially if they're driving around willy-nilly. So it used to be they would just drive out through the forest and just crush all of the understory, all the other little shrubs, all the small trees, all the herbs, all the soil, all the water, everything. Compacting the soil. Exactly, yeah. And then they would take all the logs out. They would leave all the slash on the the area and these big piles, which slashes essentially all the branches and things that they would cut off and they don't want to take. It's not worth any money. Mm -hmm. They would just leave it out there. We still do this today. And then they would end up burning those big piles. So you have this massive, big kind of uh, burn pile that they would burn over time. And then you would have some people would go back in and replant. Other times they just wouldn't replant. So the whole kind of impacts that a, that a clear cut have are massive. Yeah. Massive impacts. And it is... It's fine if you want to say that these uh, that clear cuts are you know have some benefit. You can find benefit to something somewhere in just about every situation. But hard stance, they are the worst possible ecological thing that you can do to a forest. Anything else is just a pretty intense tinge of uh, of logging propaganda. So the the idea behind it is economically driven 100 percent. everything else that comes from it is just uh we're gonna make excuses here or there i see it is an ecologically driven management practice but there are other options um shelter wood cutting is one thing i brought up where you leave a bunch of big trees kind of uh out there in the landscape and then they're also called seed trees where they would reseed the area Mm, and then you get your new generation as that new generation is kind of in its late adolescence you can come back in and cut down those old big trees and then now you've cut your rotation in half but you've only got half the stuff each time you go through and you cut down a bunch of trees and you leave big patches Mm -hmm. on this area then those trees that you took, you make your money on, but then you come back and now you wait until the forest has grown up a little bit, then you take the other trees and then you kind of have this uh, this this half and half thing, you know? You're kind of staggering your yes. your output a little it, bit. Yeah, exactly. And now you can you can take that to um, let's let's say we're gonna do a grid like a um, like a chessboard kind of thing. Okay. So that's one. You could cut the entire chessboard. Ah, or you can cut these patches and we're only gonna cut 
all the the black patches. We're going to leave the white patches. That's a good metaphor. And then you could go even smaller and say, we're only going to take the best trees or particular trees in a certain area and then leave. And you won't even notice that the forest has been affected. Right. And then you come back in and you do that every now and then. The costs aren't aren't the same, which is why I'm saying this is an economically driven kind of uh, process. Yeah. But a ecologically driven forestry, which is what the big, big thing that people are trying to focus on today is the management goals and the practices are way different. Mm -hmm. That unfortunately is something we're not going to have time to get into uh, today, (laughs) but um, that's kind of where we're at is we've gone kind of full circle to the point where the, the logging that used to be strictly economic and there was no checks on it destroyed all all of the trees that we used to have in the Midwest, like the Midwest was known as like the white pine capital. Right. And now the Midwest is not known for that. You have to go, I think to the, the upper peninsula. Um, there's a national park up there, that national park in the upper peninsula of Michigan has some of the biggest, best stands of old growth trees that just never quite got cut. So there's like that, that is the 0.001% of trees. Right. Um, you can find some really big, beautiful ones in that area everywhere else, all gone. Like to a degree that is mind boggling to think about. Yeah. All economic driven. And I, Alex, have been quoted as saying, I think in ologies, my very first ologies Mm. uh, thing, as saying, I initially did not like forestry or switched out of forestry because it's just all about the money. You're growing trees to cut them to make money. That is the goal. Ecological forestry, they're now essentially trying to force other goals in and say, yes, we know that you're making money. We know that that's the whole point of this venture. But if we don't, keep this in check then people aren't able to continue to do this it's not sustainable Mm -hmm. is the big thing and if it's not sustainable then you're just going to run yourself out problem is companies are like well i don't care i'll make my money now and then whatever happens later happens later other people are trying to say no 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 no. we we need to think through that and that's kind of where we're at today and that's probably where we should leave it before we open some other can of worms i wonder uh if you if you changed out of forestry for like the same reasons that i i was originally an advertising major oh yeah and everybody was like you know oh it's about making great art and we can change the world with advertising oh god when really at the macro level no matter what you're just trying to earn money for a company exactly yeah um but th- there was there was all these like fake bullshit ideals of you know to yeah. to try to justify making a fucking commercial for tissue paper. Yeah, and that is honestly, I mean, it's what it is. And I I, I know a lot of people in the logging industry, and I I do have respect for it. But um, yeah, sometimes you you just gotta like kind of boil it down. I mean, I love wood. Wood is a, a thing that I use all the time. You respect I, I wood, it. yeah. Like Larry David, you respect wood. I respect wood. I'm a I'm a res- I'm a respecter of wood. I guess all of my criticisms are there's a better way. There's a better way and it it is not economically driven. But that's the way I feel with most things. I mean, as recently as yesterday, like I've had uh, issues with the economics of the world and the pressures that those have as compared to the trees and these other kind of situations to consider. Mm -hmm. The economics are always 
always taking precedence. Yeah. So um, we, because of economics and because of these robber barons just taking advantage of a system, making billions of dollars while their workers are getting crushed by giant limbs falling off these trees. Yeah. You, you know, you're like, okay, I, I, okay, sure, whatever. You built the cities of the Midwest. You built the cities of the East, you know, out here with Douglas fir and all the other pines uh, that we've cut over further East. Yeah, we've built everything. It, it, wonderful. Very, very happy that we did that. And now we are a very big, successful nation because of it. But at the same time, I lament not being able to go to these these forests in um, in Wisconsin to see these gigantic white pines growing up that, you know, almost no one saw or has seen in over 100 years. Like, I mean, <clears throat> the process of, you know, uh, colonizers showed up, their eyes went wide. Yeah. They took as much as they could without any regulation yeah and then a hundred years later we're like well shit we got to do something yeah i feel like you can copy and paste that statement and plug in the details across all elements of like <laughs> natural resource and the the eastern white pine is like the 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 poster child for this entire thing yeah um you anyone could could you know say the same thing about douglas fir once you get out here right but by the time people are out here really sinking their teeth into doug fir they had already gone through all the God. eastern white pine so that's the eastern crazy. yeah that's the eastern white pine is like the ghost that haunts douglas firs wow where you know loggers would go back to that time and they're like well where are we are we in the pacific northwest and like no 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 this is the upper midwest mm. and the size of these stunning trees just is like you can't even imagine it nowadays because the the landscape is so changed in most of these places tragic yeah it's really stunning well casey i uh that's sad and it's time for a break <laughs> when we come back we're going to give a review to this eastern white pine we'll be right back with more completely arbitrary whoa sweet man cave thanks serious upgrade how'd you pay for all this i got a home equity line of credit from figure i was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days wow that fast and easy yep the application is 100 online plus no out-of-pocket costs just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. That was our tragic discussion on the Eastern White Pine. On the early logging. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to give a review to the Eastern White Pine, the ghost of the of the East. Here's how it works. We're going to give us some final thoughts on this tree and give it a rating of 0 to 10, Golden Cones of Honor. Casey, yes, as our resident log flume breaker upper, we'll begin with you. So, I like this tree, Alex. I do. I think it's a fine tree. I think it's a lot, got a lot going for it. Great. It is, uh, it's an iconic tree, Alex. It's a tree that is an icon. Yes. It is a remarkable tree of the East, which is which is saying something. I have interacted with this tree many times. Uh, not growing up in the East, I knew about it as a planted tree out West. And then when I went to school over there and actually saw it for the first time, yeah. I was like, this is underwhelming. Oh, wow. 
I I have to say, um, this is something most people don't know about me. I have a huge bias to the Pacific Northwest. It's something people don't know about <laughs> I you. I couldn't even yes. keep a straight face when I said it. <laughs> I'm so sorry to say this, but uh, the, the Eastern well, White Pine... Um, yeah. what, what were you going to say? We, we decided in 2023 we are going to lean into our pacific northwest bias that's right we did okay so cool with, so without shame i just you know it's a fine tree it mm-hmm. does it, it does what it does and um i this is not its fault but i would love to see one of these old things in fact on my list of agenda items to do sometime in the near future yeah is to drive over to the upper peninsula in michigan and really like find some of these ancient big old trees yeah so i don't know it's I'm sorry oh for all of our lovely listeners. It's like a I'm gonna it's like a six point nine. All right. You know, it's it's That's a fine. It's, it's fine, but I guess because I've never seen like this big like whoa and because it's always a tree that i'm like well yeah there's yeah, there's another one yeah that's it's kind of there it's right it's not unique you know in massachusetts it's just kind of there everywhere i got you i got you it's it's very much similar to a douglas fir but i guess what i like about douglas fir is that i'm actually able to go out there and see these huge things yeah so, what did you say 6.9 a 6.9 okay yeah, 6.9, 6.9 yeah. golden yeah. cones of honor and you know what i'm sorry alex because we're gonna have a lot of lost listeners and they're gonna be upset and uh, you take all the emails and respond to them, so this is on you. Hey, you know what? Any good press is good press, Casey. <laughs> okay, well, what Excuse about Excuse me. Any press? press is good press. Yeah, okay, excellent. Um, okay, 6.9 Golden Cones of Honor. Yeah, Alex, what do you say? You're, you're, you're far um, more biased, but also less biased. I have a... I just don't, I just don't have a... I, I I barely have an opinion on this tree. I just oh. don't know. I just don't know uh, much about it outside of what I've learned on this podcast. Yeah, and my heart is leading me. Well, I like the cone. I like the cone a lot. The fact. cone is really nice. I mean, it, on a cone rating, it's one of my favorite kind of cone appearances, like t- cone templates. Ah, you know, yeah. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. say that cone in particular, but like that style of pine cone, okay. yeah. I really enjoy. Interesting point. Um. <laughs> 7.2 golden cones of honor 7.2 yeah i don't know we're western boys it's it's fine and no i'm not even that i don't even think that comes from my western bias okay my okay. northwestern bias my pacific northwestern bias great pacific northwestern bias my great pacific northwestern bias i think it just comes from a lack of a lack of interaction but i have a lack mm. of interaction with a lot of these trees yeah um, I only have interactions with the ones that grow in the Pacific Northwest, so I guess it is a Pacific Northwest bias. Yeah, you just walked yourself right in that circle. It's like a passive bias, <laughs> you know? It's a passive bias, yeah. Casey, that was our review of the Eastern White Pine. <laughs> it is time for the completely arbitrary Q&A. And this week, our question comes from Benjamin Carnahan. I know you're passionate about this, this topic, Casey, that this question proposes. And, um... Let's let's dive in. Benjamin says, hello, Casey and Alex. Hi, Benjamin. Someone recently told me that some trees, in this case, they mentioned Douglas fir, absolutely must, all caps, be clear cut when harvesting. Otherwise, they will not grow back. In other words, some tree species cannot be selectively harvested because the forest won't grow back if there are adult trees present. Is this true? It sounds like pure horse shit to me, but I'm not an expert in any way. So what's going on here? Very respectfully, Benjamin. Thank you, Benjamin. With respect, Benjamin, 
Thank you. Casey, I will say Casey took off his sweatshirt while I was reading this question. I feel like you're preparing <laughs> for a diatribe. No, I was just in the sun. Okay. So it's hot. Yeah. Yes, I'm also going to prepare for a diatribe. This is complete horse shit. Yeah. And you I don't hate it. It doesn't make any sense even to a novice. I'm so happy that that's the case. Yeah. Um, it is logging propaganda. Yes. That is what that is. And I'm sorry. Come at me, everyone. If you disagree <laughs> with that, then please send me the email, arbitrapod at gmail.com. Yeah. So this is the thing. So we kind of talked a little bit about clear cuts versus shelter cutting versus seed tree versus mm-hmm. um, selective harvesting. Like there's a lot of different kind of terms and a lot of different ways to do logging to extract a uh, a resource from the forest. In this case, the resource is the tree. So you are cutting the forest in order to take what makes it a forest. A forest is of trees. Now, the Douglas fir is a shade intolerant species. It needs to grow where there is light. Yes. You're not going to find them regenerating under a canopy. The white pine is a similar tree. It is a shade intolerant tree. They do not like to be underneath a a canopy of other things to grow. They will sometimes, and sometimes you can find Douglas fir growing where it's very shady and they're just kind of barely making their way. Mm-hmm. But that's not their that's not their thing. That's not how they grow. So the propaganda here is that if we don't clear cut this tree, then Douglas fir will not come back. And then that puts in your brain that nothing will come back. And it's like, well, something will come back. It just won't be a Douglas fir. Like, yeah. it'll be a grand fir. It'll be a western red cedar. The forest will continue it just may not be the force that you exactly want it to be which in this case often is a douglas fir or an eastern white pine well the the douglas fir would definitely grow back right it would yeah yeah it, it would and that's that's the biggest problem about this entire statement um i we've talked about this before or we've talked about it in the future there was an old professor that i had who said explicitly the same thing yeah and I would not be surprised if he who shall not be named here that our questioner is asking is someone who learned from someone who learned from this professor right. or something like that. Yeah. Because the essential theory here is that if you don't clear cut it, there's not enough light. So you can't have a new Douglas fir grow up and successfully become a dominant canopy tree. I see. Um, the biggest issue is what they're claiming is that there's so much shade everywhere that Douglas fir won't grow back. If that shelter wood cut is a little bit larger or had the spaces b- between these, these cuts, those checkerboard patterns, which I'm not saying this is exactly how it is, but if you just make those checkerboards bigger or smaller, you know, to allow a little more light to come through. Exactly. You'll get Douglas fir. They'll yeah. grow in those disturbed areas where you cut out those trees. Yeah. They may not grow is fast because there's more shade during different parts of the day you know as one tree um, casts its shadow over a certain space but the douglas fir will grow back it's what it does it's 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 it grows in disturbed areas so if there is a giant clear cut then it will grow back if there is a not as giant clear cut then it will also grow back the thing is if you're clear cutting or doing any logging you need to plant the trees back again so if you just plant a tree back it's going to grow perfectly well anyway 
Now, this doesn't include things that like Suzanne Samard spent a bunch of time researching, yeah. which is what about the mycorrhizal networks that it's growing? You plant a little tree, it connects to the network of the big trees, and then theoretically, it will grow bigger and faster over time and be more resilient because those big trees are helping it out. Right. So it's, a, it's an old school scientific um, kind of fallacy that each tree is itself growing in a... In a in a, a vacuum right. for all intents and purposes, it's plugged into a, a network that supports it. Exactly. So, if the trees in the network are there, then the trees that you replant are going to grow, and mm-hmm. it's going to be just fine. If you leave it and you just let things grow back naturally, it will also grow back naturally just fine. The trees will come. They did not. Uh, they they didn't go extinct before clear cutting existed right so if we didn't clear cut it before whenever the chainsaw essentially why is it that the douglas fir still exists to begin with Mm. the answer is actually fire we can say that because the fire was this disturbance regime that came through and douglas fir came after that so any kind of disturbance is a new opening for a Douglas fir. So a shelter would cut any other kind of thing. It is just uh, it's just propaganda because yes, this is a tree that likes disturbance, but having these different kinds of disturbances just means that the trees will grow maybe a little bit faster or a little bit slower, or a different tree will be able to grow a little bit faster or a little bit slower. It's it's a it's 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 not an ecological look at the situation. Yeah. It's saying here is a mechanical tree growing and that is growing next to another mechanical tree that's engineered or is some works in a very specific way. Yet a forest just doesn't work like that. And Suzanne Samard tried to say this and she basically just got ignored in all of her forest mm. research. To this day, it's not economically viable to do the things that she talks about, which is essentially leave birch trees, leave alders to let them rebuild the soil and then the trees will grow back faster and be better over the long, ter- long term. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's just a fallacy to say, yeah, we must clear cut so that we can regrow this one particular kind of tree. I mean, it reeks of it reeks of uh, this is what we what we say in the industry to justify to further justify what we're doing. Exactly. And then now a lot of terms, they uh, a lot of times they actually change the term from clear cut entirely and call it a um, they use the term regeneration harvest. Right. Which is the which is which is uh, it sounds nice, right? You know, born again. Oh, what are we doing? Oh, it's a regeneration harvest. A regeneration harvest is the PC term for clear cut. Right, right. Well, thank you, Benjamin, for your question. If you've got a question for us, join the Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrary pod. There's a bunch of different tiers there you can join. Of course, the crown jewel. Speaking of crown jewels, Casey, the cone of the month club. You can join for 10 bucks a month and get a unique die cut cone sticker sent to your physical mailbox every month with a little info card, a different species every month by a different artist and printed locally in portland oregon patreon.com slash arbitrary pod casey clap alex croson what a war what a what a time it's been <laughs> i really sure went into that been. sentence sure with no been. plan <laughs> <laughs> i do that every time we talk alex just oh to be very clear God. <laughs> yeah 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 this is good so this is uh you know we, we're do, we are doing a little mini series yeah um, which is a lot of fun so look forward to the next couple episodes because we're going to be kind of diving into a little bit of different kind of uh sections and sides of logging mm-hmm. i'm passionate about this and you know i had a degree and i left it and i was like i don't want to do this anymore 
Um, but at the same time, Alex, it is important to note that forestry and the removal of trees is a resource that we can and should use. It's also a renewable resource. Yeah. I would much rather we do like plantations of trees uh, where we either currently have plantations of trees or where, I don't know, you have a, an empty field and it's not very good soil, so let's just grow something different. Plant some trees. Because if we are able to do that, and this is our big primer, if we can uh, use trees, grow them up, cut them down, and then use that as a resource, which we have done for a long time, then Alex, uh, we're not using steel, we're not using plastic, we're not uh, pumping a bunch of different uh, carbon dioxide and thing into the atmosphere. Yeah. And often, if we use it in, say, cross-laminated timber, which is the biggest kind of uh, newest thing on the block in terms of building design, hmm. then you actually will take that wood and put it into a building that's going to last for 80, 100, 200 years, and you sequester that carbon. Everything about wood is good, and in order to get it, we have to log and we have to we have to have some kind of management and use of this resource. So I don't want anyone to say Alex and Casey are anti-logging. We are, but only in certain places at certain times, well, in certain ways. I would say I would say I've yet to form my opinion. Ah, okay, sorry. I'll speak for myself. Thank you. That is uh, that's our primer. We'll kind of get into a little bit of these things both on the Patreon and on the next few episodes of Completely Arbitrary. Yes, and join us next time for more log talk here on Completely Arbitrary. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>